The Bible tells us that if we are faithful to the Lord, when we stand before Him, we will hear Him say to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Aren't you looking forward to hear the, hearing those words? Words can be such a, a powerful and beautiful thing in life. By the way, um, Brother Will Beatty is not here leading worship in this service today because yesterday he and Laurie had their second child. Colin was delivered yesterday morning. Monisa and I were up there early before they took her in, and they're doing well. Eight pounds, 12 ounces, and 22 inches. Big, big boy. But to be praying for them, and uh, they're having a blessed time this, this uh, weekend. Well, we're going to continue this series about talking. What God teaches us about how we talk with one another and about one another. And this morning we're going to focus on reactions because we all have reactions to things that happen. And sometimes the way we speak in the midst of a reaction, well, sometimes it's just not very good. And we, we hurt people, right? I mean, have you, ever, have you ever responded, reacted to a situation in a way that afterward you regretted? I remember Monisa and I had not been married very long living in a house next door to the church in Kentucky and I was painting in the bedroom and she was going to fix me a couple of sandwiches for lunch. Problem was she made the sandwiches about 30, 45 minutes before I took my lunch break and it had been sitting on the plate on the counter and over that time, you know how the bread will get just a little bit dry, stale or whatever so it wasn't really fresh and being the young, wise man that I was, I said something and closed the door to the refrigerator too hard. And my precious, beautiful wife was standing over near the pantry, and when I made my sarcastic remark and kind of the door to the fridge, my wife was over there in tears. And it didn't take me long to figure out I had done something wrong. Now, it took me years not to get her forgiveness, no, to get better at that, but hey, the journey started that particular day. So this morning, before leaving for church, I was asking her about that story. I want to make sure I had the details right. And as soon as I mentioned it, the intensity in her. Uh, oh, okay. You see, sometimes our reactions that lead, lead, you know, they lead to words. Those words create things that. Maybe a scab grows over, and every now and then something pulls that scab back off. I've also been on the other side of those kind of experiences. I remember I had not been a Christian very long. I think I was a junior in high school. My church was having a revival, so I decided I'd go on Monday night. And I got my friend who lived up the road from us who was not a Christian to go with me. I drove, and we were about two blocks from the church, and there was a guy in front of me, and he stopped. I stopped behind him. I thought he was going to turn off. He was driving a GTO. It was jacked up in the back. And suddenly I saw his, uh, his, uh, his backup lights come on, and I threw mine in reverse as fast as I could. But before I could get to the accelerator and start backing up, he ran right into me and, you know, busted up the grill and dented the hood and stuff. Fortunately, the radiator was not damaged, so I could still drive it. Went on to the revival, uh, got home later that night, and I was telling Mom and Dad about it, and Dad went ballistic on me. Now, I've not done anything wrong, but, hey, but have you ever gone ballistic? Have you ever reacted and it didn't make sense to other people why you were reacting the way you did? 
And so I've been on both ends of it. I, I've been there, you know, reacting and saying things I shouldn't because of, you know, uh, to, to what happens. And, and I've been on the receiving end of it. I was with my dad that particular night. I don't know what was going on in his life and made him react that way. I was 17 years old and didn't really care. I just knew I was getting dumped on and I hadn't done anything wrong. And over the years, you grow and you try to do better. I remember when uh, Jacqueline told us that she and Evan were going to move to Italy and take my grandson with them. And that's right, I said it, my grandson. We were at lunch one Sunday at El Cancun, and they were telling us. And I was trying really hard not to react, okay? I was going to be mature and... And, and all of that, and so we were talking about it, and, and I was asking questions, and, and I said something along this line. I said, well, I, I'm sure you and Evan have discussed among yourselves the advantages and disadvantages of living here and, and living there. What are some of the advantages you all have identified for, uh, for moving to Italy? And I'll never forget, my daughter looked at me, and she said, it's freaking Italy. <laughs> well, I wanted to react, <laughs> but I bit my tongue. But the truth is, while I was trying to keep the relation, you know, the, the, the conversation positive and the relationship healthy and, you know, and, and not react in a bad way, the truth is I was still in my own nice way trying to manip, manipulate her into doing what I wanted, right? Now, in, in the first two stories, me with Manisa and then my dad with me, me and my dad, we were both just focused on whatever we were feeling, whatever we were thinking, what we wanted. I wanted my sandwich fresh. Why? What made you think you could fix it 30 minutes? You know, and on, you know, it's all me, all me, all me. Dad, I don't know what was going on in him, but it, you know, it hadn't. You know, and and a lot of times, our reactions grow out of what's going on inside of ourselves. What we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we want, what we need, what we would like. And somebody does something, a circumstance develops, and we react out of all this stuff that's in me because in those moments, if I'm not careful, my focus is solely on me. And I react out of that. You ever done that? Now, in the conversation with our daughter about Italy, I was a lot nicer. But I was still focused primarily on how I was feeling. You're not taking my grandson. I was focused on me. Even in that conversation, when you get right down to it. A much more mature way would have been to try to focus on what she and Evan were saying they really wanted to do in life. They needed, they wanted. But it's hard for us to get to that place because we get so wrapped up in what we want, what we need, what we feel, and we react and we speak out of that and a lot of times the result is we say things that do damage because our focus is on me, on self and not the other person you remember uh, y'all remember way back about five weeks ago the first sermon in this series the very first sermon I titled what we say, how we talk, tells us a lot about who we really are. So do our reactions. 
The way we speak and the way we react says a lot about who we are. And so this message is about reactions and how they say a lot. They say a lot about me. They say a lot to other people. There's a lot of stuff being said every time you and I react. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to become increasingly like Him. If we're following Jesus, it means we're walking in His path, we're walking close to Him, and the closer you and I walk to Jesus, the more He rubs off on us, and therefore it impacts how we talk and it impacts how we react. Now, let's be honest. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, and this side of glory, neither of us are going to be. But as we walk with Christ, follow after Him, we change. We develop, we mature, we evolve, we grow in Christ's likeness. See, if I'm really following Christ and I'm doing it intimately, I'm doing it closely, I'm doing it with intentionality, I cannot stay year after year the same way. I change. And sometimes we'll, we'll say, well, that's just how I am, or we'll say about another person, that's just how he is, that's just how she is, you know how they are. But if we're following Christ, it may be how I am, but how I am is getting better. If he or she is following Jesus, how they are is getting better. But if over the years of being a Christian and being at church, I don't change, I don't grow, I'm not learning, I'm not developing, maturing, then it says something about how close I'm following him because I can't be close to Jesus all the time and stay the way I've always been. It's just not possible. And therefore, my speech reflects it. My attitudes reflect it. My reactions reflect it. Now, there will be moments when I reflect it better than other moments. But the moments of not reflecting Christ's likeness, they happen less often as you mature in Christ, as you follow Him. And there's a story in the life of Jesus found in Matthew 20. I invite you to open your Bible there that I really like. And the thing is we normally focus on the fact that in this story Jesus healed two men who were blind. I want us to focus on a different aspect of that particular story today. Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 29. The Bible tells us as they were leaving, Jesus and his disciples, they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men, sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Verse 31. The crowd sternly told them or warned them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped. He called to them. And he said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be open. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Now that's a simple but beautiful story and there's so much more in there than two men who were blind receiving their sight. Jesus and his disciples are walking and a large crowd is following, asking questions I imagine, listening to him, trying to get close to Jesus. 
and there's all this noise, this the crowd and the, the bustle and and these two guys sitting beside the road, both of them blind, they hear this ruckus and they ask what's going on and someone says Jesus is coming. They've heard about Jesus. And so as Jesus approaches, they try screaming over the crowd to get Jesus' attention. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Have pity on us. And the crowd turns to those guys and they say, be quiet. Stop it. The New American Standard says they, they sternly told them. Your Bible may, may translate it, they warned them, or I think the King James says rebuked them. So there was, there was intensity, there was harshness. Stop it! Why did they do that? Why did they do that? I mean, two blind men crying out to Jesus for mercy, and the crowd says, Stop it! Be quiet! See, the crowd, they were wanting to be close to Jesus. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to, they wanted to be able to talk to him. It was like, I'm at the front of the line. Don't cut in. Have you ever been so wrapped up in what you were wanting, what you were trying to do? You ever, you, you ever been so caught up in what you were feeling? You ever been caught up, so caught up in you that you could not notice the needs around you, even if it was two blind men? Because you wanted what you wanted. You felt what you felt. You needed what you thought you... you you're at the front of the line. Butt out. And you're so focused on you're so focused on yourself that you, you can't see the the real circumstances around you. Or if you do, you see them in a foggy way. It's not real clear. That's what the crowd was doing. That's what happens when you and I focus on self so much. Literally, when it says they, they warned them or sternly warned them, rebuked them, that, that English word is translated from the Greek New Testament. It's, 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 a, it's a Greek word that comes from two words. One means to up on or to put on, to dump on. And the other word means an evaluation or an opinion. And so the crowd was looking out there and they were, they were analyzing the situation and they, 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 they were afraid these other guys were going to take their opportunity to be with Christ. And once they drew that conclusion, they dumped on them. Be quiet. We, we, we look and, and, and we draw conclusions and we make assumptions and we, and, and we react out of what's in you and we dump, we dump up on others what's in us. And often that's what reactions are. But notice Jesus. What did he do? As soon as the guys were crying out, Son of David, Lord, have mercy on us, and the crowd was telling the guys to be quiet, what did Jesus do next? Huh? What did he do? What's the next thing Jesus did in the story? Huh? 
Say it again. What did he do? Say it loudly. He stopped. He stood still. See, if you and I are ever going to take control of our reactions, if we're ever going to get a better understanding of what's really happening, the first thing we have to do is just stop because if we don't, we'll just keep going down the path we're on. You've got to stop. Stand still. Try to, try to understand. Try to listen. Stop. Be still. Because as long as you keep running with all your opinions, you keep running with all your emotions, you keep running on the path you're on, you're just going to keep heading down that way and it becomes like that dog chasing its tail that never stops and it just gets worse and worse. You've got to be still. You've got to stop. And then Jesus looked at the guys and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now your reaction might be, why did he have to ask? They're blind. <laughs> but see, that points to a mistake we often make. We assume we know more than we really know. We often make assumptions about why someone did what they did. We make assumptions about reality and, and therefore our assumptions have to be accurate and we react out of that. But a lot of times our assumptions are not accurate. They're incomplete. Jesus did not just assume what the guys wanted. He was giving them an opportunity to clearly state what they wanted. He was giving them an opportunity to clarify. And so he said, what do you want me to do? Now, what they asked for is what we expected, but it could have been something different. And a lot of times, what people are really feeling, what people are really thinking, why someone does what they do is not necessarily what you and I think is the reason. There may be more to the story. And so Jesus asked a question. And that's a good thing for us to do is to ask questions, to give people an opportunity to clarify, not just react on the basis of assumptions. And then Jesus, he healed them. But I look at verse 34. I love what it says. He was moved with what? Compassion. See, if you and I take time to better see reality, to see the needs that other people have, to see what's happening in their life that might be influencing them, it's easier for us to have some compassion. But if all we see is self, it's easier to feed our anger. And, and the word compassion there is one of my favorite words in the New Testament because it's the translation of a Greek word that is used in John's Gospel when Jesus was standing at the tomb of Lazarus who'd been dead and buried several days and Jesus was watching his sisters cry and hurt. And the Bible says he was moved. It's a Greek word that literally means to grip the gut, to twist the the intestine. It's something that Jesus felt in his body. It wasn't just an emotion. It was deeper than that. It was more, it, it was more physical and he felt it in his being. Have you ever felt emotions in your body? That's what Jesus felt. Because he took the time in the midst of the busyness and in the midst of the crowd and, and, and everything that was going, going on, he took the time to stop, to stand still to listen, to engage, to dialogue, to understand. And as he did that, wow, 
compassion. Whereas the crowd didn't take time to do any of that stuff and they reacted, they dumped on these guys. And so how we react speaks to what we're focused on. It says a lot, not just to the person we're dumping on, but it says a lot about what's happening within me, within you. One last thing about this story. Even though Jesus and the the crowd reacted differently, they were reacting to the same set of circumstances. Sometimes we, we blame everything on what's happening. We blame everything on what's going on. We blame everything on circumstances. But Jesus and the crowd here are dealing with the same set of circumstances, yet the reactions are completely different because there's, there's a choice involved in this stuff. Wade Boggs is a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame third baseman, played about 18 years in the major leagues, uh, most of his career with Boston Red Sox. And when he was with Boston, he hated going to Yankee Stadium, not because of what you might expect, but because there was this one Yankee fan, a guy who had season tickets in one of those box seats right down to the, next to the fence. And um, this guy was on the front row, and every time the Red Sox came to town, he gave it to Wade Boggs. I mean, he crossed the line with what he said, with insults and obscenities and just, I mean, just verbal abuse. It was non-stop. And most professional athletes, they hear stuff and they deal with it. They, they, you know, they ignore it. But this guy, for whatever reason, would get under Boggs' skin. So one day they were out there for warm-ups and the guy was there early and he started into Wade Boggs. And Boggs walked over to the, to the fence and, and he said, hey fella, are, are you the guy that's always yelling at me? And the Yankee fan says, yeah I am. What are you going to do about it? Wade Boggs reached into his pocket and pulled out a brand new baseball, autographed it, and tossed it to the guy. Walked back out and continued his warm-ups. The guy never yelled at him again. Choices. You, you can't always, well, the truth is you can never control how somebody responds But boy, you can set up the circumstances to improve the likelihood of a good response by the choices you make. What you say as you're making your choice in the various circumstances of life. Now, since it's about choices, I want us to wrap this up by looking at a few Bible verses that um, that kind of sit side by side, if you will, contrast choices we we, we can make in the circumstances of life. Let's, let's look at these verses on the screen. The first one from 1 Peter chapter 3. Here's a choice. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Now that's not easy. And that's not the way most people do it. But it is a choice. And by the way, did you... When you, when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, how does he compare to that verse? When he was hanging on the cross, what did he say to those who were gambling over his clothing? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
when he was on trial and they were hurling abuse at him, he was silent. But see, when we return insult for insult for insult, and by the way, if you do this in your marriage, you do this in friendships, you do this with your extended family, you do this at church, wherever, if, if it's tit for tat, tit for tat, tit for tat, insult after back and forth, back and forth, eventually... It gets so muddled and there's so much of it, you, you can't get back to the beginning point and clean it up. Because it's just gotten too messy because it's layer after layer after layer. And one of the things that ruins a lot of relationships, a lot of friendships, a lot of marriages is this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth that nobody ever stops. And then it all blows up and they call the preacher, can we have some counseling? And I can't clean that mess up. You have to. And it's a whole lot easier to not let something get that messy in the first place. You know those beautiful little words, I am wrong. Say that out loud. I am wrong. Say it again. I am wrong wrong because sometimes we are. <laughs> All right, got another one for you. Ready? I'm sorry. Come on. I'm sorry. I should not have done that. You're right. Okay, so it's not so bad. You can do it. All right? Next verse, Titus 3. Paul says to Titus, remind those in the church to, to not malign anybody, but instead be peaceable, gentle, showing every, every consideration for all men. Again, it's not easy, but you see, if I'm following Jesus and he's rubbing off on me, I'm making the choice to, to, to do that more often than not, to, to not malign, talk badly about someone, to, to slander them. Instead, try to be peaceable, gentle, and showing every consideration, every consideration. Next verse. Next verse. There we go. No, back up one. First Corinthians. Back up one. There we go. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. I love the fact that in that verse is that big word, T-R-Y. Because sometimes we fail but we should always be trying. And the longer you live as a follower of Christ, the more you try, and therefore the more successful you become. If you don't ever stop trying. And the word conciliate, your Bible may translate it, uh, answer kindly. It's interesting. I, I looked it up again this morning just to make certain I was accurate. It's, it's the translation of the Greek word parakaleo. It's, it's the same word that was used in John's gospel when Jesus was trying to describe the work of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. It's, it's, it's two Greek words, parakaleo, kaleo, to speak, to say, to encourage. And para, beside, along. And, it, and it's the idea that the Holy Spirit comes and he walks beside us to guide us, encourage us, strengthen us, help us. 
And what God in that passage is saying, when you're in these relationships, you're going to have to make the choice at times to come along beside somebody who may have said something about you and come along beside them and speak in such a way that you make it possible for the relation to heal, the relationship to heal, if the other person wants it to. You come along beside them and you say the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Okay? And and let me just say about these verses. If you are going to have good relationships with your extended family, your immediate family, yes, but your extended family, you better learn how to do all this stuff. Let's back up to the verse just before this one. Yeah, that one. If you if you want to have good relationships with with your cousins and your 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 uncles and your neighbors, you better learn how at times to not go tit for tat, to not say bad things. Sometimes you've got to bite your tongue. You need to learn how to be gentle, because if and, and let some things go. Because if not, I'm telling you, eventually. You're going to burn a lot of bridges and you're not going to have a whole lot of family in your life. That's not easy, but it's one of the keys to having relationships long term. Now, I'm not saying there are never times that you need to put up boundaries. There are some people who are abusive and you've got to have some boundaries. Okay? Let me put that caveat in there. But I've been a pastor for a, a long time. And I've seen so many extended families fall apart, people who won't talk to each other for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, over silly stuff. Because they've not learned how to do this stuff. And it's heartbreaking. Let's go to the last verse, the one in uh, Proverbs 15 on the screen. There we go. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, a tree of life, a tree of health, a tree that produces good stuff and a soothing tongue, the person who has the ability to speak and calm things down, make things better. Versus a perverted tongue, a crooked tongue that crushes the spirit. You ever had somebody crush your spirit? Have you ever been the one who crushed someone's spirit? The truth is most of us us have probably been on both sides, right? Right? The way we speak can lift people up or it can absolutely crush them. That's the reason my wife had that little intense reaction this morning when we started talking about that story. Now, eventually we got to a little bit of laughter, but at first there was some intensity. Why? Because that was a crushing moment. The fact that I remember what my dad did, crushing. Correct? And God is saying, be careful. Yeah, we're not we're not perfect. But let's not use that as an excuse for not trying, for not getting better. Following Jesus close enough that we are getting better. We are changing. Is there someone in your life right now? You're tending, you're tending to crush their spirit. Let 
Is, is there someone in your life you've been reacting in such a way for a while that you're crushing it? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for creating us to have relationships with people and we thank you for all the beauty and joy relationships add to our lives but Father we also acknowledge that relationships are one of the hardest things we ever do in life and we're not always good at it we want to be better we want to do better And I want you to take a moment as the instrumentalists begin playing. And I want you to pray for your relationships. Maybe there's one particular relationship you need to pray about. I invite you right now just to come on. Start coming to the altar and get on your knees. This is our invitation. Get on your knees here and pray. Pray about your life. Pray about the people. Whatever it is God's putting on your heart, you come and pray right now. Pastors are going to be here. You can come if you need to talk with someone. You want someone to pray with you. We have people who are ready to do that. Pastors, counselors, we invite you to come. If you need to join this church right now, come on, just start coming right now. You need to request baptism. You want to give your life to Christ. Let's sing together. You come, you make your decisions for Christ.